We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Isn't that what everybody says? I want this year to be so much more depressing. No, what do you say? You want it to be better. You want it to be stronger. You want there to be more joy. You want there to be more victory. You want promotion. You want God's blessing. That's what you want. Can I tell you that you are so set free to ask for it and you have a God who wants to give it to you. Excellent. Can I, I will just one say one second. Let me also tell you this, that if you aren't asking for it, you aren't believing for it. And if you aren't asking for it and believing for it, then it doesn't just happen. But when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things are added to you. Every new year, we have thoughts of change. We call them New Year's resolutions. And we take time to hope for better. I would like you to share your hope with me. I mean, hope. I want some hope. Uh, We have an anonymous text line, 214-856-0550. Pull out your phone for one second. Take a moment and text to this number something that you're hoping for. It's anonymous. I don't know who is texting me. But 214-856-0550, everybody online, go ahead. You could leave a comment or you could pull out your phone also and text 214-856-0550. And you're going to share something that you are hoping for. Do it. I love it. I want to look at it and I want to agree with you. I want uh, to sh- you to share your hopes with me. And perhaps uh, you have New Year's goals and I want to know about them. And I'm going to join you in praying for them and asking God to give them to you. All right. We want you to join, uh, join you in praying uh, for a great year. So anonymous text line 214-856-0550. That is a number that you ought to have in your phone. Anytime you have a question that, you know, sometimes questions come up and you're like embarrassed to ask about. That's why we created that text line. You never need to feel embarrassed to ask a question You can ask it right there, and we will do our best to answer it. Excellent. Also, if you're online, you want to answer, you could just leave the hashtag, hashtag first, but change the I to a number one because we are hip and cool like that. Hashtag first, change the I to a one so we can find it. All right. It's not bad to resolve to change and to make goals for the new year. It's not bad at all, but sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes it doesn't feel so good. Sometimes change doesn't just make you smile. Sometimes your boss walks in and says, hey, I want to change a few things about around here. And you are doing your best not to roll your eyes, right? Come on, let's get real. When they walk in, they say, we need to change a few things. You're like, you are like gritting your teeth and you're like, oh, that's such a good idea. I can't wait to hear your ideas. Because change freaks us out. We're not always happy to hear about change. There are times we look at our lives and we see more things we don't like than things we do like. Some of us, we look in the mirror and we see more things that we don't like than things we do like. Sometimes the way we think about ourselves, the same the way we think about our, our relationships, the way we think about our finances, the way we think about our spirituality, the way we think about everything around us, sometimes There are more things we don't like than we do like. Sometimes we see more weakness than strength, more wreckage than beauty, 
more failure than success. And this can feel defeating. And this can feel hopeless. And this can make you feel lousy. And there are many people that that have even just given up on a New Year's resolution. They've given up on goals because when they look at the wreckage of their life, they go, what is the point? We are often left asking this question, where to start? With everything around you, it's so overwhelming. I remember as a kid, I had kind of uh, wrecked my room as a kid. I know that's hard to believe, but it was really wrecked. And I said, uh, Mom, will you help me clean my room? And she was like, okay, let's go in the room. And she just looked around. I'll never forget this. She indelibly marked right here. She looked around at this hopeless cause of a room. Like Godzilla and King Kong fought in this room. It happened. She looked around in this room and she said these words, where do I even start? Where do you even start? Have you been in such a mess? Some of, some of you would like to change your house, but you look around your house and go, where do I even start? You, you, you want to change your, your physical, you want to change your health, you want to get in shape, but you look around and you go, where do I even start? You want to fix your yard. You want to start a ministry. You want to start a job. You, you want to make a website to, to start for your hobby. There's all these things that you want to do. You aren't out of things to do. You're just wondering, where do I even start? Mm-hmm. I, today, I, being a parent, I, I walk into rooms and I see a wreckage from my own children. I, I come back to that, that moment. Uh, toys everywhere, couch cushions everywhere, but on the couch. Uh, they, they have these things called spill-proof cups. That is a lie. The devil, the devil is lying to you if you think those are spill-proof cups. Somebody say amen. Right? Uh, TVs, computers blaring, and you wonder, where, where do I even start? And it's enough to say, is selling the house an option? Could we start there? Maybe, maybe find another house? The mess everywhere, the, the, the noise at such a high level. I knew something needed to be done, but I didn't quite know where to start. Our lives can be in such a mess that we're left asking the same question. Where do I even start? I think that's a great place to, to, to just launch from in this, in this first Sunday of the year. What should I clean up? What should I change? And what should I do first, right? I really want to make it very plain for you today. Uh, it's really hard to start certain things because you don't know what to do first. And it, it, it'll, it can almost paralyze you like learning a workout routine. It can be so overwhelming how to work out because there's, you do a YouTube video search, there, there's like 30,000 people telling you how, how to do it and what you need to do first. And you're like, well, I don't want to do the wrong thing first. And because you're worried to do the wrong thing first, you never do anything. And somebody just needs to come along and take you by the hand and say, do this first. Can I be that guy for you today? Can I be your friend today? Can I take you by the hand and say, do this first? Are you with me today? Before I even tell you, are you with me? All right. Everybody online. I'm with you today. I want you to do this first. Would you be honest enough to admit that there is something in your life, in your home, in yourself, in your career, in your relationship that needs 
to change. Are you honest enough to raise your hand on that one all over this place? Everybody online, is that you? Go ahead and let us know. Let us know. Yes, you are not alone. Somewhere in the landscape of your existence, there is at least one thing that needs to change. Everybody online, I want you to know everybody in this room just raise their hand. There is nothing to be ashamed of saying that something needs to change around here. I have hope for you today. Your Bible has a lot to say about this situation. Israel was in a mess of a situation that left them asking, where do I even start? Now, we need a little background on this story. Don't fall asleep with me. I want to teach you a little bit about uh, the the layout of your Bible here because it's going to be important. The nation of Israel had a covenant relationship with God. God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. All right, and so they walked with God from the, in this covenant, and he protected them, and he provided them. Somebody say, sweet deal. That's a sweet deal to walk with God, and he protects you and provides for you. If you're walking with God, and he's protecting and providing for you, what else do you need to continue to walk with God? That's, that's it, and that's the one thing they forgot to do. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, Along the way, Israel stopped being in relationship with their God. They just took for granted his protection. They took for granted his provision. And they forgot to do things like obey God. They forgot things to do things like love only God. They started loving other gods. There were all kinds of things. They started worshiping other gods. And they no longer obeyed God. They stopped even knowing what God said. They stopped knowing what God was about. Israel disobeyed God. It got so bad that they no longer recognized God's presence. Have you ever been in a room and no one acted like you even existed? Yeah, it's called high school for me. I'm sorry, guys. I barely made it out of that. But you're just in this room and there's people everywhere, but no one even knows you're there. It's like, you know, you would like to be a part, you even try to be a part of the conversation, you just can't. Well, guess what? That's how Israel, all of Israel, an entire nation, millions of people, that's how they treated God. In Ezekiel chapter 10, God felt unwanted in his own temple. The temple, he felt so unwanted that he left. God's glory was removed from the holy of holies in the temple. So number one, you know what the temple is. It's God's house. This is where God lives. And this is where you go visit God. And there is a room, an inner room inside the, the temple that was so special. This was God's dwelling place. It was called the holy of Holies and God's very glory resided behind the curtain inside the holy of holies. Say, yeah, if you know what I'm talking about. So there's this special room that God's dwelling in. But he's not wanted. He's just sitting in there and nobody visits him. Nobody prays to him. Nobody honors him. Nobody loves him. In fact, he's just completely forgotten. And so guess what? He leaves. Now, they didn't know this could happen. There are some of you. You might not know it could happen either. 
So God gets up and he goes beyond the veil and he leaves the Holy of Holies. As bad as that is, you want to know what's worse? Here it is. No one noticed. God's glory goes to that threshold. No one notices. So he goes a little further. He goes to the next threshold. There is an inner court and there's an outer court. He goes out to the outer court and he goes right to the doorway. He's like about to leave and he just pauses for a second. And guess what? Nobody noticed. Now they kept coming to his temple. They kept going through the motions. They kept saying the prayers and doing the things. But they didn't even know he was no longer there. That's some scary stuff right there. And so God's glory left the Holy of Holies. Now it is leaving the outer court and still no one noticed. No one ran after God and saying, God, please come back. God, why are you leaving? God, you're everything to us. God, you're the reason that we're alive. You're the reason that we're in this wonderful land. You're the reason we have hope. You're the reason we're protected. God, please don't go. Not a single person, not one voice cried out as God left. No one seemed to care. So then you know what God does? God goes to the gate of the city. There's 12 gates to the city of Jerusalem. He goes to one of those gates and he just waits. And after a while, he walks out of the city. He went from being in his central holy of holies to departing from the entire city. God's glory, God's presence, God's protection, God's provision walked right out the door. Of the city. And as God left out one gate, a large army from Babylon stormed through the opposite gate. You can be sure of this that if God walks out that door, the enemy is about to walk in that door. And that's exactly what happened. And they walked into that city and they stormed into that city and they destroyed the city. They took all the Israelites into captive. They were now no longer free. They burnt down their homes. They had nowhere to live. They tore down the city walls. They had no protection. They even destroyed God's home. They had no hope of being with God in their vision. The beautiful temple that was created by Solomon was no more. It was considered at the time to be a wonder of the world. And now, gone. God's glory had departed. The enemy came in and nothing but rubble remained of the city of Jerusalem. Most of the people of Israel were ripped from their homeland and sent into exile in a foreign nation. They were made slaves of the nation Babylon. This is where you read stories about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a king named Nebuchadnezzar. All of that is in exile. That does not take place in Israel. That takes place in servanthood, in slavery, under the thumb of a tyrant king who thought he was God, named Nebuchadnezzar. One way to look at it is if, if God walks out that door, another God, another, another God, another being that comes in and will proclaim itself over you. You as God. 
If you don't worship the true God, something is going to come in and proclaim that it is God over you. You see this. That is the picture. So, God, the true God, sent his word to the prophet Jeremiah. It's a verse we read a lot. Jeremiah 29 and 11, we read a lot. But the verse right before it, 29 and 10, we're going to look at it. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, everyone said 70. I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. What's the place? Israel. Verse 11. This is your bumper sticker. This is what they sell at the Hobby Lobby. You, you buy this wonderful verse and you put it on your wall. This is the context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. One more verse, verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. All right, how many years? 70. So let's fast forward to the 70th year. And just as God promised, King Cyrus of Persia defeated Babylon and sent every Israelite back to Israel. He sent them back with all the gold artifacts that had been taken from their temple. And no one was left behind because we serve a faithful God. He was true to his promise. And he didn't lose a single one of them. I'm telling you, if you belong to the Lord, he won't lose you. My goodness. Okay, we all understand the background now, right? That's the story. Let's read a little further. Ezra, chapter 3, verse 1. When the seventh month, everyone said seventh month, came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one in Jerusalem. After the long journey back from Babylon, back to Israel, people settled in their towns. Where? All the towns in Israel, wherever they're from, they went back to their town. If they were in Bethlehem, they went to Bethlehem. If they were in Jerusalem, they went to Jerusalem. If they were in the Nazareth area, guess what? They went there. If they were in the Samaritan area, they went in that area. All right? People settled in their towns. And then after seven months, They all gathered in the capital city of their once proud nation, Jerusalem. And this is where they have a where to start moment. They have a where to start moment. They stood in a city that had been destroyed and left to decay for 70 years. What do roads look like if they aren't taken care of for 70 years? We live in Plano. We know all about bad roads. Oh my goodness, they are doing construction on roads all the time. I ought to get an amen in this church. <laughs> they just, they're always, gosh, roads are hard to keep up with, obviously. Well, 70 years later, let me tell you, roads were grown over with trees. And in 70 years, houses were completely ruined. The walls that protected the city, they were all gone. And the remnants of it, were overgrown. The temple, you know, the place where God lived, it was just a pile of stones. But now you couldn't hardly see the stones because they're covered. They're covered in debris and they're covered in, in plants and they're covered in, I don't know, rabbits living in them. I, I, but it is a mess. 
It was a mess when they left, but now it's a mess that's been sitting for 70 years. The entire nation stood in this broken mess of a city and shared a horrible where-to-start moment. Where do you think they should have started? What is the first thing that you would rebuild? Picture yourself. You're standing in this city that's a complete wreckage. And it's your job to rebuild it. Where do you start? What's the first thing you would set up? What is your five-point plan and what's point number one? I'm talking to people today that do not have perfect lives. There's some wreckage in your life. When you look around your marriage, you see a mess. Where would you start? When you look around your finances, you see brokenness. Where should you start to fix that? When you look inside yourself, you don't see much worth salvaging. Well, where do you start the the recovery? When you look around and wonder where to start, that is what Israel was in, in very much real time. What is the first thing you should rebuild if you were to restart your life? your relationship, your career, your dream, where should you start today? That's a real important question. That's what you're wrestling with on the second day of 2022. I want to tell you there is a starting place. There is a clear-cut place to start. Watch what they gathered in Israel. Those that gathered, watch what they put first. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 2. Then Jeshua, son of Josedach, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and his associates, a lot of names, we're getting to it, began to build the altar of the God of Israel. They began to build the altar of the God of Israel. To sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Here's the answer. It's the answer for them and it's the answer for you. You build an altar first. Can you say those words? Build an altar first. Now listen, we're in Ezra chapter 3. I showed you the first verse. It says after seven months, they gathered. Once they gathered, they looked around. What do we do? And the next thing they do is they build the altar of God. Out of everything they could have done, they chose to build the altar first. There is an amazing spiritual significance to the altar. Sometimes we're guilty of just saying the word altar without ever explaining. We call the front of this church often the altar. When we come together and talk to God at the end, we, I might say something like, meet me in the altar. We have songs like, oh, come to the altar. And you're like, what is that even talking about? Well, let's talk about it. I want to tell you, seeking a relationship with God starts at an altar. Here's what an altar is. The altar is a place to acknowledge a meeting with God or a cry that such 
a meeting is necessary. I'm going to say that one more time. An altar is a place to acknowledge a meeting with God or a cry that such a meeting is necessary. You want to meet with God? Go to the altar. If you want to request a meeting with God, you go to the altar. Maybe he calls you to the altar. Maybe you call him to the altar. But the altar is where you meet. You understand? Many memorable and significant spiritual experiences in Scripture happened at an altar of worship and sacrifice. By the way, worship and sacrifice are synonymous with God. Abel found favor with God at an altar. Cain walked away from that altar with murder in his heart. Noah marked his covenant with God by sacrificing at an altar. And he received a promise from God. Abraham's spiritual journey was signified by his altar experiences. Everywhere Abraham followed God in obedience, he built an altar to the Lord. You could have followed Abraham by simply following the altars he erected. It was only in the times where Abraham disobeyed God and he left the land of promise and ventured into Egypt that we have no record of him building an altar. When he was in the promised land, following God, he built an altar and you could follow him. But when he left the promised land and went into Egypt, you could not say the same thing. There is no record of him building an altar to God In Egypt, he built no altar there. What is Egypt? Egypt is a type and shadow. This is symbolism, and it's solid. You can understand this. Learn it. Egypt is a type and shadow of the world that is rebellious against God. A type and shadow of the world. That's what Egypt is. Egypt is a place where you are enslaved. Egypt is a place where you cannot build an altar. They wanted to build an altar, and Pharaoh said, No, you cannot build an altar. I will not let you go. That is our world. That is the type and shadow of Egypt. Yet Abraham, as he obeyed and followed God, he continually built new altars, even when times were difficult. And he could not clearly see the promise and the plan of God. He built an altar and renewed his relationship with God. He acknowledged his meeting with God and cried out for a renewed encounter time and time again. Abraham's example carried into the next generations. In the altar experiences of his son and his grandson. The same God who had appeared to Abraham also appeared to his son Isaac At Beersheba, again, God gave him wonderful promises. Read the account in Genesis 26 and 25. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. What is an altar? It's a place to acknowledge the meeting with God or a place to cry out that a meeting would take place. He built an altar and he cried out to the name of the Lord God and right There he met God for himself. Learn this. It was not enough for Isaac to know about the altars of his father. It was not enough for him to know about the many altars of Abraham. 
that he had built. Isaac needed to build his own altar. Can I tell you, we cannot rely on our predecessor's altar. We cannot rely on your grandmother's relationship with God. You got to have one on your own. You got to build your own altar. You need to build an altar and call upon the name of the Lord. Jacob, this is the son of Isaac. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel. No longer Jacob, which means deceiver. His name is now Israel, which means prince with God. During this transformation, during this absolute change in Jacob's life, what would he choose to do? He chose to build an altar. The spiritual vitality and life success in the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were based on their altar experiences. On and on, the stories we could share about someone seeking God at an altar. Altars are important to God. Altars are important to the people of God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, instructs you on how to make an altar. Make an altar of earth for me. And sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goat and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. There's a lot there we could dig out. Number one, you notice his name is honored at an altar. Did anyone honor his name today? When we worship, I could tell you that it is very much building a meeting place for the Lord. It is a place where his name is honored, and it's a place where he comes in contact with us. There is a visitation. There is a blessing. There is a name that is honored, God's name, and it all takes place at an altar. But now, back to our original story, back to a messed up Jerusalem, back to a people that were exiled after 70 years and they didn't know what to do. Now it was a new generation's opportunity to build an altar in the broken down city of Jerusalem. And of all the things they did, they chose to build an altar first. Without an altar, there is no atonement for sin. Everyone say atonement. Everyone say at one meant. You break up the word atonement, it is at one meant. At an altar, you are made one with God. At an altar, all your sins are forgiven. That was keeping you from being one with the Lord. We are made one with God at an altar. Jesus atones for our failures at an altar where his blood is applied. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It is on the altar that an innocent life is found. The blood that was shed purchases that atonement. A guilty life approaches an altar. An innocent life is given on the altar. The guilty walks away in a one relationship with God again and forgiven. 
In Genesis 22, Abraham was commanded to take his only son. What was his son's name? Isaac. And place him on an altar. And spill his blood. When Abraham's only son was on the altar. And as Abram lifted up the knife. That would take Isaac's life. Somebody stopped him. Who stopped him. You can say it was an angel. But here's the deal. God stopped him. Now this is where God can get a little confusing. Because God told him to do this. And then God stopped him. Sometimes God tells you to do stuff and stops you so that he can teach you. And that's what happens here. And what ends up happening is God teaches Abraham and he teaches us that God will provide his own son. God will provide himself his own sacrifice. And that's what Jesus Christ is. And that that happening on Mount Moriah just outside of an area that would become Jerusalem is the very same area where Jesus Christ was on a mountain and was on the altar of God and was given for the sins of every person. The altar points us to Calvary. It always has. The lamb that was on the altar was was never going to be fulfilled by a little sheep that bad. No, the altar and the sheep is fulfilled with Jesus Christ, the lamb, on the cross. Oh, my. This is why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus for the first time, he yells these words. He yells them. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away The sins of the world. My goodness. The cross of Christ was the greatest altar ever. It was the greatest altar ever. There is not a greater altar. Let me me prove it to you for one moment. The first altar we have was for the sins of one person. For the sin of one person was a lamb slain. The next place we see an altar... It is for the sins of a family. Is that more people? See where we're going? The next place where we see an altar, it's in Egypt at the Passover. And it is for the entire nation. So we've gone from a single individual to a family to a nation. But when Jesus Christ comes, John the Baptist declares, He takes away the sins of the world. There has never been a greater altar than the altar that is Calvary. It's not just a nation. It's not just a family. And it's not just one holy individual. It is for everyone. There is no greater altar than Calvary. Hebrews chapter 10 and 4. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, the sacrifice of bulls and goats merely pushed back the sins. But watch what, what, what the sacrifice of Jesus provides. Verse 10, five verses later. 
And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Those are three mighty good words right there. Once for all. How many times did he need to do it? Once, but who did he do it for? For all. How many times did he do it? Once, but for who? For all. I'm telling you, anybody that says Jesus Christ has to come and die for a white man, and he has to come and die for a black man, he has to come and die for a Japanese man, and like separate all the nations and nationalities and make it all about race, they're a liar because he came to do it once. Not only that, if anybody would look at you and say, Jesus Christ's blood is limited, they would say that there is a limited atonement. They are liars because it is once and it is help me for all. It's for the sinner. It's for the saint. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. Oh, my goodness. The first time the gospel is ever preached. Peter punctuates it with these words in, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Can I break it down real simple for you? Once for all. It's for everybody. Jesus did it one time for everyone. Clap your hands to the Lord. Thank you for the altar, Lord. Now, he, writer of Hebrews teaches a little bit. The next verse, Hebrews 10, 11, day after day. Somebody say over and over. Oh, my day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. I want you to picture of all the priests day after day. They're doing the things. And they've all got different things to do. And they're working in the temple. And they're doing all the stuff. And one's slaying a lamb. One's cleaning up all the blood. One's washing. And one's doing rites on people. And one's baptizing people. And one's doing all these things. One's going into the holy village. One's doing all this stuff. Day after day. Over and over and over again. They're doing their religious duties. Again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. Just on a loop. Over and over. The next words are these, which can never take away sins. You want to talk about frustrating? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and getting no results. That's what the definition of insanity is, right? Doing the same thing over and over and again and expecting new results. That was religion. Can I tell you, religion goes there quite frequently. Religion lives there. I'm telling you, you can come to a church... Over and over again expecting and go, well, I'm doing all the things. I'm doing all the religious duties. But now let me tell you, coming here and doing this is not what forgives you. Coming here is not what saves you. Coming here is not what changes you. Y'all understand? I'm glad you're here. But that's not what it is. That's not what it is all about. It can never take away sins. Verse 12. But when this priest he's talking about jesus he is saying that jesus christ is not only the fulfillment of the altar and the fulfillment of the lamb he is also the fulfillment of the priest 
There's no greater altar. There's no greater lamb. There is no greater priest. He is the high priest. And when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know what you do when you're done working? You go and you sit down. Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, the sin offering that he offered up to God, he is finished. In fact, doesn't he say those words on the cross? He says, it is finished. And when he had done it, he sits down at the very right hand of God. Oh, I feel good in this place. Oh, not only are you supposed to build an altar through Christ, you are supposed to be like Isaac and allow yourself to be placed on the altar. It took me way too long to get this, Teresa. Let me share it with you. I looked at the story of Abraham offering his son on the altar and said, God wants me to be Abraham willing to put everything on the altar for God. That is a, will, that is a worthy thing to, 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 to strive for. But that's not the point of the story. You're not trying to be Abraham in this story. You're trying to be Isaac. And I'll prove it to you. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you brothers. In view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies. As living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act. Of worship. You're supposed to be Isaac. Willing to go to an altar and lay your sin on it. Willing to even lay things that aren't sin on it. There are some good things you'd like to do. But God, I'd rather follow you so you can have it. I'm leaving it at your altar. You know what? You know what happens to things that are placed on an altar? They die. After they die, they're burnt. And this sounds bad, right? Ooh, aren't you glad that doesn't happen at our altar today? I'm telling you, it sounds bad, but through Christ, his altar does not end in death. What happened? How does the altar of Calvary end? It ends with an empty tomb. It ends with a resurrection. It ends with life everlasting. And if you will present your body It says that you become a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that although it is laid on a place of death, it lives. Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Oh, there's less of Chris Fluitt living. And there is more of Christ living in Chris Fluitt. An incarnation of sorts, if you will. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. Because of this, I live. Crucified, yet alive, on an altar of death. Yet born again, never more alive. Only through Christ. Only through the perfect lamb. Only through the great high priest. 
only the, the altar that is the cross of Calvary. I want to tell you, building an altar, which you're supposed to do first, it doesn't mean you're going to die. It means you're going to live. Oh, you want your marriage to live? Build an altar. You want your family to live? Build an altar. Church, do we want Redemption Church to live? Build an altar. Jerusalem built an altar first. I've told you how the altar is spiritually significant in having relationship with God. Say, yeah, if that's true. Good, good. I've told you about the atonement for sin. That happens at the altar. Say, yeah, if that's true. That's good. I have one more reason why they built an altar first. And I think you'll all like this one. It's real simple. I like to keep things simple. Here it is. Altars are easy to build. I like that. My wife asked me to do things around the house. And I really want to know, I don't ask it directly, I'm sorry, babe. But what I really want to know is, is this going to be hard or easy? Because if it's going to be hard, I'll call some prayer partners. I really want to know if it's going to be easy. I'm telling you, one of the great reasons you should build an altar first is it's super simple, it's super easy, and it's super quick. You build an altar first because there is spiritual power there. But also, altars are easy to build. It can be done quickly. Altars could be complex. If you wanted a complex altar, it could happen. They, they could be bronze. You could make an altar out of bronze. And that would take some specialized metal working skill. Is, does anybody work with bronze? <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. So we'll let someone else work on that. We'll let Ron do that. He's good with Ron. Altars could be made of stone. So now we have stone worked and ornately carved. You could do that. All right. Again, that would require some serious time and some specialized skill sets. Anybody good with, with stone masonry and anybody good with that? So we'll let somebody else do that. Right. Alex is super good. But altars could even be simpler than bronze. And stone, we read a verse earlier about an altar of earth. Altars could be simply dirt. Anybody know how to use a shovel? Yeah. All right. And we're not talking about burying a body six feet in the ground. That's a lot of dirt. No, we're talking, could you get enough dirt together to make a mound? Do you think you are skilled enough to do that? Yeah, do you think you could do that and it not take all day? Bingo. You see why I like altars first? They can be easy. The altar could be just an elevated platform like a pile of rocks or a raised mound of dirt. How quick could they have built this altar? Just a few guys there, maybe with a shovel. Maybe they had a carpenter nearby. Anybody know how to build a table? I think they could figure that out. Could anyone get some rocks together and pile them up? Done and done very quickly. 
I want to tell you something. Had they chosen to, to build something else first, what if they had chosen to build the walls of the city first? That would have taken teams of people working for months, perhaps for years, to accomplish that. that. Had they chosen to build their homes, it would have taken longer. And can I tell you, that would have been self-serving. And some people would have done a really good job on their home, and some people would have been completely out of luck. Because they aren't good at that stuff. They could have tried to finish the temple first. And even with a plan, you know what? We'll finish this beautiful temple. And then once it's done, then we'll build an altar inside. I want to tell you there is a temptation to build other things first. There is a temptation to put other things first. As you look around your life, you'll be tempted to build other things like your job. Like your relationship. Like your health. Like your habits and skills. Can I tell you something? I've been around people that have said these words to me far too often. I can't stand these words. These words make me want to cry. They're some of the saddest words I've ever heard. Here are those words. They say, you know what? When I get my life right. When I get my life together. Then I'll come back to church. And I'll give my life to God. Has anybody ever heard someone say those words? I have never seen that play out like they said it. If you could fix your own self, you wouldn't need God and his altar. If you could get it all sorted out by now, newsflash, I think we would have done it by now. Oh. I want to tell you, you're tempted to look all over the place and find something else to build first. That's what that person that said the things to me. When I get everything right, then I'll come back and I'll build this altar. I I want to tell you, I cannot promise you that you can walk out here free of addiction that you've fed for the last decade. I can't promise you that you'll walk out of here today free of that. But I can promise you, That you can build an altar right now. And that right now you can have direct access to God. I can't promise you that your relationship with people. That has suffered disrepair for far too long. Is going to be instantly healed today. Another pastor may be more brave and could just promise you that. I can't promise you that today. I can't make such a promise. But I can't promise you this. I can promise you a visitation from God that will bring blessing and will honor the name of God. And I promise you can have it today. I can't promise you a better job situation today. That slick televangelist says you could promise you that if you just sow your seed offering a thousand dollars. But that's not me. I can't make you that promise. But I can make you this promise. I promise that God provides exactly what you need at an altar. And I promise you, you can build that altar today. You can have an altar today. What's on the other side of the altar? Oh, that's God. That's all God. But I can promise you, you can build that altar today. This first Sunday in the year 2022, I ask you, 
to build an altar first. There's so many things you want to accomplish. I want to see you accomplish every one of them. I want to see your family accomplish them. I want to see you be bigger, faster, stronger, wiser. But I want to tell you today, build an altar first. Don't just build an altar, build an altar first. Don't just say, I'll get to it later. One of the frustrating things about being a pastor is seeing people and watching them be on the hamster wheel of life. And God sometimes lets us go on that hamster wheel. Just run on. Just run on. There are people, oh, maybe you're watching online. There are some people, I'm not making you feel bad for watching online, but there's some people that ought to be here right in the center of this church right now, but they're on the hamster wheel of life. They're just running, and they're running. You know what would get them off the hamster wheel? What's keeping them on the hamster wheel is trying to do it under their own effort. What will get them off that hamster wheel and change them forever is to have an altar meeting with God. Does anybody want to build an altar today? I'm drawing close to a close. The truth is this. What good is a blank without an altar? Tell you can just about fill up anything in that blank. What good is a blank without an altar? What good is a completed Jerusalem without that altar? Are they going to have a meeting place with God? They're going to have their sins forgiven, washed away. No. As good as a meeting, as good as a completed Jerusalem is, it's no good without an altar. What good is a completed temple without an altar? What good is a beautiful church with stained glass windows and, and a large orchestra and a large staff and Many Sunday schools all staffed. What good is any of that without an altar? What about you? What good is that new house you're dreaming about? Oh, am I putting you down for dreaming about a new house? Not on your life. But I want you to put something first. What good is that new house? What good is that money promotion? What good is a better body? What good is the, you fill in the blank, without an altar? What good is another church service without an altar? We have this phrase a lot. We say, I'm going to church. You going to church today? Going to church? Anybody going to church today? I'm so glad y'all came to church today. Oh, I would like us to just change that a little bit. I'm coming to the altar today. Next time somebody says, hey, are you going to church today? Say, I'm going to the altar. And just freak them out a little. Because that's unusual. There's so many churches that don't have an altar experience anymore. There's so many churches that they only have an altar experience for the person that's never had an altar experience. If no one has ever come to know the Lord today, they can come up here and everyone else will watch them. And as they get up, they're like, oh, oh, people are going. And meanwhile, they're sitting in their stairs, their chairs, watching other people have an altar experience, but not having one themselves. 
What good is coming to church without an altar? It's all about that altar. It's all about that altar. Hmm. I want to tell you that the altar works all by itself. The altar works all by itself. You don't have to have a completed perfect city for an altar to be effective. You don't have to have Solomon's temple replicated to have the meeting place called an altar. You don't have to be the perfect Christian to build an altar. In building the altar, all your sins are forgiven and you stand perfectly cleansed. Let me blow you away for a moment. In the book of Revelation, one of the things that everyone's waiting for is a temple to be erected. We know this because they start making sacrifices to God again. Before Jesus returns, Israel is going to make sacrifices to God again. We do know there will be a temple. But can I tell you, they could start making sacrifices to God today. Without a temple. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because we just read Ezra chapter 3. Where they build an altar. And they make sacrifice to God. Before they've built the temple. Change your priority list this year. Move everything down one. And make the first thing. Build an altar. Have you ever built an altar? The altar is a place. To acknowledge a meeting with God or a cry that such a meeting is necessary. Has your spouse ever witnessed you building an altar? Has your kids ever seen you at a meeting place with God? Redemption Church, we need to build an altar. And not just right here because we just ended the sermon. Not just right here because it's what we do before we leave. You know, it's one of the three things. We talk to God. We got to do those things. No, we build an altar because we desire for our own self a meeting place with God. Very quickly before we close, I want to tell you a very simple story. My brother Linus, we were living at home. He was going to work. He was trying to serve the Lord, but one day he... He came home just in a foul mood. And I was there. My dad was there. And Linus was there just all over everything. We were just trying to have a good time. We are maybe trying to watch something. But Linus came just right in there. And he's like, I'm going to argue. And when you tried to move past that argument, he'd go, I'm going to argue. And it's just another argument. And it was just this foul, unpeaceful spirit. It was just like, what are you doing, bro? What is this? And we try to talk some sense into him. We try to say, no, you're just being negative. No, we just need to turn that frown upside down. Somebody's had a case of the Mondays. We've been trying to fix all this stuff up, and nothing was working. He's just getting angrier, angrier. And suddenly, I remembered I was a Christian. You ever have one of those moments where you remember, oh, wait, I'm a Christian. Do that next time you're on 75, driving. Try that. I just said, let's pray. And I got down 
my hands and knees. My dad got down on his hands and knees. And we just started to pray. And we just started to pray for my brother Linus. And he's standing there going like, I wanted to argue. What are you doing? And we're just praying. And we're praying blessing on him. God, touch my brother Linus. And give him peace. And lift him up. And touch his heart. And set him free, God. Lord, set him free from this anger. Set him free from all of this. And we're crying out to the Lord. And the next thing I know, there's another person down on the ground right next to me. And it's Linus. And I hear him make the funniest little sound. He starts giggling. It's like this. Linus, you were. I promise you were. You were just like. (laughs) Like giggling. He was talking to the Lord. And when he was talking to the Lord, joy replaced all of that discouragement. And joy and peace replaced all of that anger. And there was a battle, but it was won. And it was because we built an altar in our living room. When was the last time you built an altar in your living room? When was the last time you built an altar? Not because the pastor preached real good, but because you said, we're not going one moment further. We're going to have a meeting place with God. This argument's over. This trouble's over. We're about to meet with God at an altar of prayer and an altar of worship. I'm telling you, that was a place of blessing. That was a place of renewal. That was a place of meeting. And that was a place where God's name was on. Oh, we do three things every time we come together. We worship. We receive the word of God together. Now let's build an altar in this place. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.